At Baptist Health South Florida, it's our mission to care for you when you're injured or sick and help you stay healthy and fit. Welcome to the Baptist Health Talk podcast, where our respected experts bring you timely, practical health and wellness information to improve your family's quality of life. Welcome Baptist Health Talk podcast listeners. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Fialco. I am a preventive cardiologist and lipidologist at Baptist Health's Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute, where I'm also chief of cardiology at Baptist Hospital and the chief population health officer at Baptist Health. Over recent decades, new ways of providing cardiovascular care have saved countless lives. And I'm proud to say that at Baptist Health's Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute, that spirit of innovation is stronger than ever. There's a lot of incredibly innovative stuff happening here. And today I'm happy to welcome Dr. Ramon Casada to bring us up to date with the latest exciting developments. Dr. Casada is Medical Director of Interventional Cardiology and the Cardiac Research and Structural Heart Program at the Institute. He's also Clinical Associate Professor of Medicine at the Herbert Wertheim School of Medicine at Florida National University. Dr. Casada is a friend and colleague for over 30 years, and I'm honored to have him as a guest on the podcast today. Welcome, Ramon. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Ramon, this is great stuff that you and the team have been doing. I mean, much of it's nationally and internationally recognized. And sometimes in our local catchment area, uh, we don't know as much of what we're doing um, um, as others around the country. So this is a great opportunity for us to explore and educate um, uh, regarding structural heart disease, the incredible accomplishments that are, uh, you and others have achieved in cardiology, and then maybe a little bit about where we're going as uh, uh, in the future. Um, so let's start with some basic concepts. Um, we ter- use the term structural heart disease. What is that? And how is that a relatively new concept compared to previous forms of uh, heart disease assessments. So it's, it's very, it's fascinating because really uh, our field is, is, a, is a young field. It started in 1979 when Andrea Grunzik did the first balloon angioplasty in, in Zurich. And then um, it evolved to what is today a field of interventional cardiology that involves what is called a structural. The structure means that the heart itself. So if, uh, if the valves are broken, we try to fix it. And if you have uh, congenital defects in the, in the heart, all this was done only with surgical procedures in the past. And now we can take uh, and do that with minimal invasive. The patients are awake, sedated only, and we can intervene with minimal trauma to the body and uh, using catheter techniques. That's basically what a structural means. So I think that's really a great perspective because I think it's not that we couldn't help people with these cardiac conditions before, but it generally required a surgical procedure, which certainly had a higher complication concern and a, a higher recuperation rate. So, so part of the innovation, uh, Dr. Ramon, is really not just that we're able to do it, but the patient experience, the patient recuperation, the patient getting back to the quality of life is, is quicker and enhanced. Isn't, is, would that be the case? That is the case, exactly. That because and now we, we can treat patients who are very 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 frail and they were very and very elderly that before they were not candidates for surgery. Now with all these uh, transcatheter techniques, we can we can help them to have better quality of life and, and, and better and better outcomes. Let's talk about a couple of the main structural procedures, and I know this world is expanding rapidly, as we as we mentioned. So, so first, TAVR. Um, lots of reported data in in the press. Lots of uh, uh, studies going on regularly regarding uh, TAVR. But but go back a little bit about the TAVR history, what it is, who's who's qualifies for it, um, and your personal experiences. You were in the leading edge of developing TAVR um, um, uh, going back years ago. So you know this is it, it's fascinating. This starts back back in the in the the concept of 
uh, opening an, uh, the aortic valve that is with all the blood when it comes out of the heart, it goes to the brain, to the rest of the, of the body. If you have an obstruction in that orifice, it becomes like a pinhole. It is, the heart has to be fighting and it becomes very difficult. So the only way to fix that in the past was replacing the valve surgically. It's a very traumatic operation, but it was very successful. And that's the only one, that's the only way to do it in the past. Today, we can replace the valve without opening the chest. And that's what Tower is all about. So aortic stenosis, we'll talk a little bit about aortic stenosis because that's obviously what TAVR um, um, is for. So just to speak to that quickly. Yes, aortic stenosis is obstruction of the aortic valve. And that's really a disease that takes time and to build up. It's a disease that you see in the elderly, in the elderly population, but can happen in the young people who have anomalous or congenital uh, deformation of the aortic valve. We call it bicuspid valve. Younger patients in the 50s, 60s, that for that pa- for those group of patients, it's still surgical is an alternative and a very good alternative uh, to to percutaneous approach. But for the elderly patient, for the patient with high risk for surgery, even the low risk for surgery, um, today we can do it without surgery. Right. We can do it right. without so- general anesthesia. People think a TAVR is a disease. I think people think aortic stenosis, I apologize, is, is a disease of the elderly. And it is more common as one gets older, but we do have younger people who otherwise have these abnormal valves that require replacement. And as you're saying, the evolution is this is done without general anesthesia. People go home within a few days. People don't have that incision in their chest. It, it's just remarkable. Um, um, and the other thing you just mentioned, speak to this a little bit. When it first came out, it was really for those high-risk people. The people who had, you know, they would die in surgery. They had no other options. So it was kind of like a salvage procedure. But now, even lower surgical risk people, you're doing TAVRs on. Is that right? That is totally correct. You know, this is one of the most incredible fields in, um, in, 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 in medicine, I would say, because, you know, we prove well, with scientific data, randomized clinical trials, that, number one, replacing the valve percutaneously was better than doing only observational medicine. Because the patient who did observational medicine, they they die. They have a lower uh, survival rate than the patient we changed the valve. This is a high risk patient, right. super high risk patient. Then we let me, let, me, let me stop you there for a second. So basically, people with this condition, when we try to follow them medically, and you don't look so bad, don't worry about it. They don't do as well than if we intervene to fix the valve earlier in that in that disease state. That's that's what you're saying, right? That is correct. Right. There's no medical therapy for this condition. Right. Medical therapy for this condition. Is, 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 we proved it. It's not a good thing. The best option is replace the valve. Right. As long as you're a candidate, because if you're in the extreme, then, then there's no benefit of doing this. And I'm not, I'm probably not going to get into that because that's, it's complicated, but that's a decision that we make in a multidisciplinary approach. So it's not one mind deciding, it's a multiple minds deciding. And, you know, that is very interesting. I'm going to take a pause here. Yeah, please. Because in 1970, no, in, 19, uh, in 1987, when the institute was founded, it was founded in the in the concept of multidisciplinary approach to cardiovascular disease, and that was a very innovation, innovative concept. Nobody was doing that. Everybody was practicing medicine in silos. You know, the surgeons here, the the cardiologists here, the vascular surgeons. Everybody was in their own in their own little world. But we brought a different approach. Let's have all these minds work together for, for the best solution, which is the patient wealth, well-being. 
And that's the multidisciplinary approach to cardiovascular disease. That was, the Institute actually was a pioneer in the country doing this. Today is mandate. You know, once TAR was approved, it, it's mandated that the decision to put a patient through these procedures has to be decided in a multidisciplinary uh, consensus form, which is great, which yeah. is the best thing that happens. But at the Institute, we started with this 20 years before. Yeah, so, no, it was very innovative, and now it's uh, the others are caught up, and we're further innovating, and they'll catch up for the newer things we're doing down the road. That's right. So, um, but I, but I do think for the listeners, it's important if you have aortic stenosis and you may be a candidate for this TAV, this this percutaneous rather than open surgical uh, replacement of the valve. Um, uh, it's a multidisciplinary. It's not one person saying you need a TAVR. I'm going to do it tomorrow. There's a lot of assessments of the person between surgeons and the cardiologist and dimensional cardiologist and anesthesiology. We have imagers. Maybe you want to talk for a second before we talk about other procedures, the importance of having high level cardiac imagers. How does that help you and differentiate the Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute's TAVR program that you lead from others? Talk about that a little bit. So, 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 you know, this one thing is like everything in life. One thing's take you to the other things. And then when you put it together, it's a beautiful combination. It's like an orchestra. In medicine, it's the same thing. When we start the field of structural interventions, we were like the Lone Rangers. The individual, the, the operator was doing the whole procedure, doing the images, everything. But you cannot be... Uh, you cannot do everything. You need to have expertise in different fields. And the new specialty in our field is Structural imagers. These are cardiologists who are dedicated a hundred percent of their time to do imaging. If I and I, I would say it, if you can, if you can sue, if you can see it, you can do it. So they bring out to us the expertise to join us the imager, imaging quality, so we can do these complex procedures. And it will, it will work as a team. And it with also with the with the cardiac surgeons and the and the interventional cardiologists who are dedicated into this field, and that bring the results and in, in, in reflecting the outcome of these patients. And so better patients, patients will do better; they'll feel better. The results yes. will last longer. They'll have less complications when you're able to actually see using ultrasound technology and various other technologies at the time of the procedure, what actually is, is going on. And, and that is a high level of performance that not a lot of centers have, these high level cardiologists dedicated to imaging. It's interesting to me sometimes when patients will, you know, they'll search around, how many hips have you done? If I'm gonna take my hip surgery, how many open hearts have you done? But certain things, even like echocardiography, you know, there's really a differentiation between the people who really dedicate their careers towards performing interpretations of these cardiac echoes, you know, at a very high level versus, you know, you go to some diagnostic center down the block and there's some tech who, you know, does part-time echoes. So I think that's a higher level of understanding as we move forward towards that sub-specialization expertise, but again, that we bring together in the team. So TAVR was kind of the first of the structural procedures to really take off and it's still growing and developing. Uh, and we have, again, that, that team-based approach with great outcomes. Let's talk about MitroClip, because to me, again, that, that's almost more exciting because we can offer people Again, a, a non-surgical approach to a various, a very serious uh, concern. So, can you talk a little bit about mitral regurgitation and then uh, what you're able to do with the uh, mitral clip? So, so this is so. Listen, this is totally fascinating. <laughs> Let me tell you, the aortic valve. If you compare the complexity of the valves, the aortic valve is like uh, an odometer of a car. You, it's broken. You take it out and you put a new one. Simple. The mitral valve. Is more complex. It's like a cockpit of a 747. Very complicated. Multiple pieces. They have to look at them. 
and you have to uh, put them all together and think about it, how you're going to repair when it's broken. Okay, so we repair the valve, meaning that you don't put a new valve, you're repairing the valve, you're repairing something that is wrong with the valve. And then and, and then you repair, you replace the valve. You have to decide when you repair and when you replace. And, and I'm going to just mention that the tricuspid valve was a forgotten valve, but now we're also involved in the tricuspid valve. So it's an evolution of all the structural part of the, of the heart that we can uh, repair if necessary. So the mitral valve, it was very complex. This happened almost simultaneously. So the surgeons use a technique that they put stitches in the mitral valve, making like a bow tie. And for that, you reduce the, the, the regurgitation or the insufficiency of the valve. So there's two types of insufficiencies. One is a disease of the valve itself, meaning that is, we call it primary, because the valve is defective or is, is degenerated. And, and, and the valve leaks. It's like a, a, the, it doesn't close when it's supposed to be closed. And it stays open, so you have leaking blood. And the, the other one is secondary, which the valve is normal. But then it's the muscle of the heart, which is abnormal. And that dilates the idols of the valve, and the valve stays open. So it's primary and secondary. So and the, the secondary is more seen in patients who also would have heart failure. Heart which failure, right, right. right. The heart is dilated. And, and the dilating heart makes the valve leak, and the leaky right. valve makes the heart worse. So this is the, uh, so, the situation. So back in 2000, because I, I, I'm gonna, if you allow me, I, I'm going to go back to the beginning. Uh, because we were well, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead and say it, and we'll decide if we edit you out afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we we start at the very very beginning. With our interest was in how can we reproduce things done in the operating room, done in the cath lab without cutting the cutting the chest open, and we can do the same things that the surgeon do. So this is this operation that the surgeon did, uh, that they put a ring and then they, and they they put a stitches in the leaflets. So it's called the Alfieri technique because Alfieri was, a, as a, was an Italian surgeon who described this. So the biomedical engineers they, they developed this concept with, 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 with interventional cardiologists uh, that how can we get to the heart and do the same thing, but without cutting the chest? So the idea came and put a clip. The clip does the, does the work of the ring because it's more than a stitch. So bring the valve together and also reduce the amount of leaking on the valve. So that's the way it started. And then and, and, and in 2005, around 2005, we were involved in a study called Everest trial and we use all comers. Good patients, uh, low risk patients, high risk patients, everybody. And, and we learned several things. Number one, that the surgeon do a beautiful operation. So surgical valve, valve, mitral valve repair is the ideal way of repairing the mitral valve. But by the high-risk patients, those patients who have who are very high risk of surgery, who have high mortality, this procedure was superior if you have primary mitral insufficiency. And also in the patient who have secondary MR, which surgery is not a good alternative, is not the best alternative, we proved that it was in patients who failed medical therapy, this was the best way to improve this patient's quality of life and survival. And that's why it got approved. And now we're in the fourth generation of CLIPS, 
we have small clips, big clips, and whatever. So the combination, we can achieve incredible results and very, very, very complex anatomies and very high-risk patients. But this so is only the first phase. I think that's an important evolution. So TAVR started when we did this, again, this percutaneous, non-surgical uh, approach to replacing the mitral valve, only, like I said, in people who had no other choice. They were going to die. They couldn't get surgery because they were so frail and sick. Let's just salvage them. Then we started doing it to patients who had a higher surgical risk, but not that sick. And we found it was just as good as surgery. And then we lowered it, lowered it, lowered it. That now anyone who needs an aortic valve, TAVR is a particularly viable opportunity, even if you're relatively healthy. We're kind of going through the same thing with MitraClick. When you say where it starts out with just the only high-risk people, they can't get surgery because they're so frail because you know they won't survive surgery. Um, but we're finding that there might be benefits going forward in, in people less of a surgical risk with certain mitral valve conditions. And again, the benefit would be you're avoiding an open heart or a surgical procedure. Uh, I shouldn't say open heart, a surgical procedure otherwise. Is that is that where you see the mitral clip going? You mean, you know, the guidelines just change. So the guidelines change for se for secondary MR, ser uh, for secondary mitral insufficiency, transcatheter mitral valve repair with a uh, leaf, uh, with, uh, with mitral clip is a, is a, it's, we have a classification of the indication. One mm -hmm. is the best indication mm -hmm. with the best evidence. Two A is really we have you have evidence. So we are a, we are a two A indication with mitral clip. Surgery is a two B. So we were above surgery. So if you have functional MR, which medical therapy is still the gold, but you medical therapy is not doing the job, then you should move into mitral valve repair with mitral clip. So again, take home point is if you have mitral regurgitation with a normal heart, if you have heart failure with a lot of mitral regurgitation, um, determine if you're a candidate for this less invasive procedure, which has indications now, this is not an experimental procedure, but certainly you were involved in those early stages. Uh, last one I want to talk to just briefly uh, is the Watchman procedure. Um, again, we're talking about percutaneous non-surgical procedures uh, that can uh, affect the structure of the heart. So you know, I'll let the listeners know atrial fibrillation, which is an arrhythmia. We've had previous discussions about this in podcasts and elsewhere. Very common as we get older, leads to a fast heart rate and leads to an increased stroke risk. There's a little pocket off the upper part of the heart where blood clots can form in atrial fibrillation. It's called left atrial appendage. And previously, all we could offer people were very intense anticoagulations, which still work. And the majority of people still benefit from that. But there are people that can bleed. There are people that can have contraindications, can't handle the anticoagulation. So rather than just say, good luck, hope you don't have a stroke, talk about the watchman and where that's coming into play. This is another field that uh, really uh, we, were, we were we were lucky enough that we were really at the very beginning. We, we, we have participated at the Institute in all the trials from the first trial that was it's called Protect Day Field. So we have this structure that, that John is talking about. It's called left atrial appendage. 90% of the strokes induced by clot formation and atrial fibrillation come from this structure. And the reason to anticoagulate patients is to prevent the formation of clots in this left atrial appendage. But what happens if we just close it, isolate it? Take, you, you can do it two ways. You can open the chest and cut it, or you can isolate it, putting a device that will seal the appendage. And we did four randomized trials trying to prove that this little basket called Watchman has, number one, has um, prevent prevent the complications of atrial fibrillation, which is, is a stroke. 
or is equal to anticoagulation or superior. And this is the, the story that is that we prove that closing the left atrial appendage with a Washman device, which is a totally percutaneous approach. Uh, at the beginning, when we started, we didn't know what the appendage was, to be honest with you. We thought it was a little bad. And we learned that through imaging that it, it, each appendage is different for every patient. And we know that there's, depending on the morphology of the, of the appendage, you might have a higher risk of, of having strokes than with other morphology of appendage. We learned all the stuff through years of studying this. But we don't, this is the thing that we do know. Number one, if you close the appendage, you reduce the chances of having complications of oral anticoagulation by 98%. And what is the worst complication? Bleeding into the brain. That's number one. Number two, you reduce the chances of having a stroke compared to oral anticoagulation by thrombus by 30%. The most important problem is that patients who are in oral anticoagulations, they do not tolerate it for a long time. The older the patients, the less they can have oral anticoagulation for long periods of time. And when they become more susceptible to have strokes from clots is when they stop taking the oral anticoagulation. And, and the fourth is the complications of anticoagulation is bleeding. So they were, they, the drawback of using a device to, do, to prevent this is because it's a procedure. You have to go through the heart, you have to put a, a device in the heart, and that by itself carries a risk of complications, which today is very, very low. The complication risk of, risk of heart perforation is less than 1%, embolization is almost 0%. It, 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 is, it is, but I do want to uh, emphasize, Sergeant, it is a procedure. I mean, that's, that's like, well, why does everyone get this? this and take down the road, yes. but, but, but it's a procedure versus taking a medication. But again, as you said, it, it's superior to the medication in a lot of ways, but, you know, but, but it's early in its development. So down the road, we may find with either improved techniques, um, um, it might be a lower threshold to do. But um, uh, my point is, you know, you're talking about TAVR, which is an aortic valve replacement through a catheter uh, procedure. Uh, mitral clip, these clips on the valve that pull them together to decrease the leak for people who have various medical conditions related to that. And the ability to close off this appendage, to seal it off so blood clots don't cause stroke. These are your bread and butter stuff. And quite frankly, you do this routinely. This is not, you know, no one's writing up these cases in the newspapers because this is what you do. This is what we do at the Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute. So certainly, you know, if people have any of the medical conditions which might be uh, candidates for it, certainly whether they call through their primary care doctor or through a cardiologist or they can call through a Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute structural program or atrial fibrillation, we're bringing these people, uh, these technologies. And again, it's a credit to you and the leadership team. Um, final, final point, uh, Q, um, I'm sorry, that's, that's my, you know, our, our common call, uh, call Dr. Casada <laughs> Q. Uh, final point. So, you know, I know we know you've been involved in research and we've led a lot of research initiatives. Um, we have innovation, as you talked about doing new techniques and, and learning from that and bringing it to the broader community. Um, you did mention the unique aspect of Miami Cardiac Investment Institute is this multidisciplinary approach. Can you just, what, what differentiates in your mind the Miami Cardiac Investment Institute from other cardiac uh, programs in, in the South Florida? I, you know, I, I think that the, the concept, uh, and, and I'm going to give the credit to the, to the founder, because really that was, was Barry Katzen, who, who, who believed when he, when he founded the institute that the dialogue among colleagues is the most important thing. Is one, one mind, multiple minds think better than one mind. And, and that was the multidisciplinary approach. And if you look at even at the design of the cath labs of the Institute, they are open. 
not because they look nice. They open for the same, the only reason that means that our philosophy, we don't hide anything. We are open, everybody can come and look at it. And the most important thing, you can ask for help in any moment. And that is, I think, the most important aspect of, of uh, the multidisciplinary approach. You don't have to be afraid of asking. As a matter of fact, we... You mean, you mean well, that, that, and again, that's a brilliant point, and that's the doctor we're talking about. I mean, you know, right. to me, it's okay for a doctor to say, I don't really know, or let me, let me find out, or let me ask someone when the doctor treats the patient with that ego-driven, I have all the answers. Again, that's where sometimes getting people get into trouble. So I, I do think that's worth emphasizing. And, and, and I think that's a change. And I think that's a philosophy even in our own group. Yeah, we have, we have multiple multiple specialties or sub sub specialties within cardiology in our own group. So you mentioned yourself, you're a you're a lipidologist. Um, if I have a question with a complex patient, I, I I will ask you immediately. What do you think about this? How do we manage this? You know, and we have that that opportunity. That's the philosophy of the, of of us at Miami at MCBI, at Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute, and I think that brings a, a difference uh, in everything that we do. As a as a multidisciplinary approach for the well for for the for the for, for the for the best of the patient care. Well said, uh, Ramon. And again, I, I just uh, personally I take such uh, uh, pride and honor, um, you know, working with you and the team, and 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 being able to see and participate and support the incredible innovative work being done. And I think your passion and knowledge has come through, and hopefully the listeners can take that away, which is um, seek options out there for any cardiac conditions. And and we want to provide the best outcome um, with the least invasive approach um, um, when eligible. Um, uh, before we sign off, listeners, um, we can really use your help and feedback. Please take a moment to give this podcast a five-star review on whichever platform you listen to us. Listen to some of our older podcasts as well. Email us with comments or suggestions for future topics at Baptist Health Talk at baptisthealth.net. That's baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. We'd love to hear from you and thanks for listening. And until next time, stay safe and mask up. Find additional valuable health and wellness information on our resource blog at baptisthealth.net slash news. And be sure to interact with us on our social media channels for live and upcoming events. This podcast is brought to you by Baptist Health South Florida, healthcare that cares.